Welcome to the Osprey Podcast. This week, we're diving into the world of jungle survival in the TV and film industry. Megan Hine has been at the forefront of the survival genre since its initial boom 14 years ago with the release of Bear Grylls' Man vs. Wild, and since has released her own book, hosted her own podcast, and been on truly the wildest of adventures. I'm your host, Marcus Brown, and this is the Osprey Podcast. Megan Hine, thanks very much for being here. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, it's, it's great, to, great to join you. How's lockdown been for you? Are you, are you handling it okay? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I mean, obviously, there's the, you know there's a concern over work and stuff. And, you know, my work predominantly revolves around travel. So, you know, there mm. is definitely that, that element of it that I'm worried about. But it's been such a great time for me because I last year I was away for like 11 months of the year. Um, and I have quite a physical job. So it's been really nice actually kind of just balancing out my body, like eating a bit more healthy and things, because usually I don't get to control so much what I eat. Um, and just kind of, yeah, rebalancing everything and reconnecting with people I haven't spoken to for a long time. Nice. Slowing down. I saw in your website that you were planning a Mongolia trip in September. Is that like sort of tentatively maybe still going ahead or is that not? No, so well, so I had quite a few um, expeditions actually running for the rest of the year, um, as well as the film work that I do. Um, and I've just moved all my expeditions now till next year. Um, I, there's just, just too much unknown at the moment around travel and, you know, whether there's going to be quarantine enforced and things. Uh, and at the moment, it's too much of a risk really to take take with clients this this close to September, really. Sure. So what would that trip have looked like or what will it look like now next year? <laughs> uh, so Mongolia was actually like a little passion project of mine. It was a trip that I'd wanted to do for a long time. So I was like, right, I'll just take some clients with me and, and go and do it. So um, nice. it was riding across the steps of Mongolia, uh, staying with eagle hunters uh, as we rode across uh, and then going to one of the eagle festivals. So attending that. Uh, and I have got some great contacts in country that I work with whenever we're over there. Um, and we would actually have got to take part in the festival and <laughs> fly our own eagles oh, as wow. well. Yeah. So, so that's on hold next year. But I've, I've, weirdly enough, I actually had two other trips out to a similar area as well um, with some other clients, kind of private guiding um, stuff that I do as well. Um, and they were kind of like similar trips. And one was actually out to spend time with these incredible reindeer herders where you can actually ride the reindeer. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so cool. These, It's just incredible. Like the world is just so amazing. And, you know, I don't take what I do for granted, you know, particularly in the current mm. climate as well, of getting to travel and, you know, meet these kind of native peoples and local cultures and, and things. And, you know, there's just so much going on in the world that the majority majority of us know nothing about. Mm. Have you found that you've learned a lot from seeing all these different cultures? Yes, yes. So the local um, the local peoples are always like uh, central to any trip I do, you know, whether it's with the expeditions that I run or with the um, with the film work that I'm doing. Uh, you cannot mm. beat local knowledge. So if, if anybody's listening in that wants to go and plan their own adventure and you know, go wherever it is, you know, whether it's, you know, just to the Alps or, you know, you're going further afield to Mongolia or Kyrgyzstan or wherever it might be, you know, talking to the locals about things like weather conditions. You know, if you're going out to the Alps and you're going backcountry skiing then you know talk to the local guides who've been out there all season know what the weather conditions are um, if you're going out into you know jungle regions knowing about the weather patterns fruiting patterns animal migration patterns you know all of this stuff for them it's their backyard and you know unless you're in that environment all the time you just don't have that knowledge and that knowledge is absolutely key to you know to doing kind of remote and wild adventures so yeah so for me uh, that kind of local input has always been a huge part of every trip that I do. And kind of my expedition leading uh, started actually with very much with like anthropological based expeditions. So actually going out and spending time with native communities, um, you know, whether it's sort of jungle communities or desert dwelling communities uh, kind of all over the world. 
and actually taking, you know, taking clients out. So usually I'd go out and spend a few weeks in country with these people first. And then the clients would come in, we'd like, we'd spend time learning the skills. Um, and then we'd just go off into the jungle or the desert uh, with nothing and, uh, and yeah, put the skills that we'd learned kind of into, into practice. Amazing. So where would you say are your kind of favorite locations that you've, you've taken people to? <laughs> um, so, well, my career... There, I imagine there's quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> this is always such a hard question to answer. It's like I get asked it such a lot. Um, but I, my career started in the mountains. Like I was absolutely obsessed with climbing and mountaineering. And uh, my childhood was actually spent running around the mountains. My dad was a mountaineer and a geologist and used to do like a lot of geology expeditions. Uh, so, you know, so we spent a lot of time as children, um, like kind of out in the mountains with him. Uh, and my career started with kind of like picking up the basic mountaineering qualifications and things in the UK uh, when I was like, well, my um, 18th birthday present was actually my mountain leader award. Um, and that's kind of how I funded my way through university and things. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. So, so the mountains was always kind of my first true love. And I think it, it still is now, but my career kind of evolved in a way that I didn't foresee coming. <laughs> and I spend so much time in like in jungles in particular at the moment, it seems quite fashionable to want to go and spend time in jungles. <laughs> but each of these environments, you know, whether it's like extreme cold areas, whether it's jungles, whether it's deserts or mountains, like each one has its own uh, challenges um, that comes along with it. And I think that's what I love so much about what I do. So, you know, for example, the jungle, I have like a love-hate relationship with it. It's like everything out there is out to kind of scratch you, bite you, and you just you spend your entire time like soaking wet. <laughs> and it's like there's a lot of like kind of your own limitations and your own kind of perceptions of things that you kind of have to overcome in those environments to actually then kind of get yourself through, you know, those challenging things. And, and particularly as you know, the majority of the the traveling that I do to, is actually looking after other people as well. So, you know, not only do I have to be on top of myself and my own personal admin and be comfortable myself in those environments, but I'm also kind of responsible for the safety and the lives of other people as well. Mm. So if you had to pick three go-to places then for some real adventures, what, where would you say? <laughs> um, oh, well, somewhere I'd love to spend more time um, is Patagonia. Uh, I think mm. it's just, have you ever been down there? No, oh. but it just looks stunning. It is. It's like, I, I particularly, I follow a guy who does um, like mountain bike trails. And I think there's also like a, a guy who does like horseback expeditions through there and just looks incredible. It really is like whales on steroids. Like it's <laughs> wicked. I'm a big <laughs> fan of whales. So <laughs> like it really is. It's like, you can be like, you know, around the kind of tourist del Paine area, uh, and you can be look just looking out over like the ice fields um, and, you know, you're only at the same height as like the summit of Snowden. <laughs> and it's, wow. yeah, and it, oh, it's just incredible. It's got its own like microclimates and stuff. So you've got to be really careful, like kind of with the weather and, and things down there. Mm. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's so beautiful and so remote. And um, I'd love to go and do some ski trips down there. It's kind of that's planned for yeah, hopefully next year, uh, all being well, uh, to get to go down to Incredible. Uh, Dan go skiing out there. Patagonia, I still want two more. Oh, okay. I need to build out my list. <laughs> um, well, as I said, like I, re I love the jungle. So um, I think, you know, for me, uh, like the Amazon rainforest is still like kind of one of the final frontiers of kind of wilderness uh, exploration. Mm. Um, and the past few years I've spent quite a lot of time um in the Amazon and I think like the cultures uh the local wildlife um everything out there it's it's so massive it, until you fly over the top of it um you just don't realize like how vast uh, the Amazon is and to get around inside it you know unless you've got loads of money for flying around in helicopters and things uh you know the vast majority of it is like you know traveling through on sort of waterways and, and things uh, and it takes weeks or months to kind of get around there. And it's just something so, so immersive about it. And I think, you know, once you really start pushing off the beaten track, you have to be so self-reliant as well um, that it just really builds up uh, confidence. Um, and I think there's, you know, there's still cultures out there, you know, there's still like uncontacted, what they call uncontacted peoples. And 
uh, and wow. things out there um, that I have come across some of them in in so not so uncontacted but <laughs> in, in <other> <laughs> uh, yeah. what was that like <laughs> what was that like yeah oh, yeah um it's it is it's amazing um so i was out there two years ago um and i I spent three months out there actually i was working uh for facebook um and we were looking for these lost cities um which kind of turned into this big murder mystery but while we were out there uh, yeah it was a fascinating job Uh, while we were out there like um i I feel like a lot of these stories are gonna like tangent off onto another crazy (laughs) story which will tangent off to another crazy story (laughs) the problem of lockdown and having spent lockdown by myself is it's like whenever i'm talking to somebody i'm like whoa (laughs) (laughs) so it's like yeah do do get me to focus (laughs) if i go on a massive tangent no i I want, I want all of them. I want all of the crazy stories. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, so we were, so we were out there and we were like, we were working um, out in the um, jungle and they'd actually got uh, some like kind of local voting going on and these people's had to come in. So we were really, we were quite, we were deep out in the jungle and we were occasionally crossing paths with uh, these kind of tribal people, these local peoples that were coming, uh, coming through. Um, and they're, they're just amazing because they, they don't have TVs. They don't have um, access to kind of, you know, to the modern world, if you like. Um, and they, these people, they tend to be they're very short. They kind of adapted to live in the environment that they're in. And they're very childlike in the way that they interact with the world. Like not, not childish, but like childlike in that they're kind of, um, they don't have the same, I suppose, social um things that we have put on us that like our culture maybe puts on us, you know, to be seen and not heard and all of those kind of things. And that, you know, you should react in a certain way to certain scenarios and, you know, keep your emotions in check mm. and things. And it's like, they they have this real freedom about them in the way they express their emotions. Um, and, you know, if they see something, they'll take it and they want it. Um, and, you know, I, I think in those, when you're dealing with those cultures, you have to be really, really careful that you don't piss them off. Um, because yeah. you know some of these tribes they're like this one that we actually we met as well you know they are still some of them are still cannibalistic and um oh, know, wow. yeah and you do realize that you know you're very deep out in these environments and mm. you know you could very easily you know just disappear as well <laughs> <laughs> so what was the, what kind of reception were you met with how did they respond to you um initially it's, it's a very much like a kind of like a standoffish thing initially and then it's like a very much Mm. you know they want to come and look and touch and it's you know I I suppose you kind of you feel like you're kind of on show because you know they've never they may have you know if if they've ever been into kind of um you know one of the larger villages they may have come across uh tvs and and things but this will be the first time that they've ever been exposed to you know a western person you know with somebody with you know maybe with blue eyes or you know blonde hair and you know very tall and mm. um and things so for them it's like you know it's like this aliens kind of <laughs> drop yeah. the sky and it's it's really fascinating it's that kind of like that fascination kind of back you know with them as well um but yeah when it's not your culture it's like that you have to be so, like from our side as well you know you have to be so aware um and it's, sometimes it's very very hard to read body language when the culture is so very different to to our own Mm. and presumably there's a language barrier anyway right yes yeah very much so yeah because they they tend to speak kind of very, like local dialects and local languages so mm. you know they don't necessarily even kind of like speak spanish or you know one of the wider spoken languages so then how did you find approaching that like it, 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 it's actually it's making me think of a, a film called arrival which is a sci-fi film and very far removed from what we're talking about but <laughs> It is relevant in that a a large theme in the film is they're posing this question of there's this alien race that they're trying to communicate with and their language is completely unrecognisable from ours. It's essentially a series of ink blots and they're trying to decode it and they're asking the question like how do you communicate with something where nothing lines up between your languages? Yeah. Did you, you said that like even reading the body language was hard. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so when you when you when I, when I find when I'm interacting, you know, with people, is you have to take it very slowly, um, and because you just don't know what triggers are, um, or what you might do, or an action that you might do that might trigger them. You know, 
you might like I don't know their belief systems I don't know mm. um their cultural et- etiquette you know in like in some cultures stepping over somebody's outstretched legs is bad touching somebody on the head might be bad uh, and when you're visiting a culture you know which could potentially be very volatile um you the last thing you want to do is kind of cause offense um so it's kind of very much trying to watch how they interact with each other um and particularly as a female as well it's kind of seeing how um the women are treated within that culture as well um and mm. trying to trying to learn from that and then trying to see the hierarchy within the you know within that uh, group of people because there will be you know there will be somebody who's um higher up the the ranking than than the others and you know if you start trying to interact with somebody who's lower down you might then cause offense um so it's kind of then you know really trying to kind of read the the situation um and kind of you know kind of rank people and make sure that you're kind of communicating with the with the right right people i mean whenever whenever we do go off into these remote areas um i, I do always have a, a local a guide or a local translator with me as well that at least knows has some sort of understanding of uh, the local cultures and things, uh, which okay. definitely helps us. They don't necessarily haven't necessarily met those peoples, but they will have kind of an understanding of of kind of how local yeah. people. They can at least things. at least take a guess at yeah. how to behave. And yes, wow. So do you, do you find yourself sort of um, trying to imitate their mannerisms and things to try and somewhat assimilate and like? How's, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to some extent. I mean, it's, it's a really good question. Um, yes, yeah, to, to some extent you do. And I, but I think this is something that we do when we communicate with anybody on any level. Um, mm. Because as, as humans, I mean, that's one of the reasons that we were able to get to the top of the food chain so quickly and, you know, to be able to function in such massive societies. You know, we, we don't just, you know, function in, in pairs or small communities anymore. We function on a massive scale. Um, and a lot of this comes down to that uh, being able to read kind of subconscious um, messages and what somebody's not really saying. Um, and we naturally kind of adapt to the person that we're talking to as well. So by mirroring their body language, maybe um, just to trying to make them feel comfortable. So you're trying to diffuse any situation uh, that might arise and you're trying to get onto mm. a level where, you know, that person thinks that you have empathy with them um, and that you understand where they're coming from um, so that you can try to diffuse a situation. And that's that's something that, you know, that I, I try to use, you know, whoever I'm talking to, because um, I have such a bizarre uh, job sometimes you know I might be talking to you know somebody who's in a, a loincloth in the morning and then I might be talking to some you know political power or <laughs> or prime minister or something in in the afternoon and you know <laughs> it's try you know being able to communicate and a lot of that is down to you know being able to read um, stuff that you know people aren't saying and it's the same same with my clients as well you know when you're taking people into extreme environments you have to become very good at, at reading what people aren't saying because they could potentially put uh, their own lives at risk but they could potentially put like, my life at risk or the lives of other people in the group as well you know I mean for example mm. um, functioning at altitude so you know if somebody's had a, a summit in their mind and you know they've been training for this summit for you know months maybe years and it's a goal that they've got in their head they've spent a lot of money to go on this expedition to get there um and you know we're you know we're maybe up at kind of base camp ready to to go up this mountain and they're coming down with altitude sickness and they know that they have this problem but they're trying to hide it um and by by trying to hide it they're then you know potentially jeopardizing the safety of of everybody else within that group um so you know it's then about kind of using empathy using communication skills um as a leader to then be able to talk to that person um and communicate with them uh, particularly when they they may not be kind of thinking as as clearly as they they could be, um, and trying to kind of you know talk them down, and then you know make them realise that actually you know they shouldn't be going any higher. Um, and you know, I mean, sometimes unfortunately people yeah struggle <laughs> to understand that you know particularly when they paid a lot of money and it's been their goal. And you know, there's been there have been a few times you know you have to like forcibly remove somebody uh, for their own safety wow. as well as the safety of the rest of the group. But usually it can be dealt with by by communicating with somebody. Have you heard of a guy called Chris Voss? 
No. He's a he's an ex FBI. I think he was maybe the head of the negotiation team at the FBI, um, and he has been putting out some really interesting stuff. He's got a book called Never Split the Difference. Oh, yes, I do. It's all about yeah. negotiating. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's really good, isn't oh, it? And he talks a lot about mirroring in that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I'm not very far deep yet. I've only read so much, oh, but it's, it's yeah, so it's really good. interesting stuff. Yeah, I've just seen he's got a masterclass on. Mm, yeah. Yes. I'd, I'd love to watch that. Yeah, I think it's so fascinating because it's something we all naturally do anyway. Um, it's, mm. it's being being aware of that, uh, but I think it, we kind of grew up in a society which is, uh, you know, is very. There's a lot of very very mixed messages that we get. You know, um, to be seen and not heard. Treat other people as we want to be treated. Don't get in car with, cars with strangers, and you know, kind of all of these kind of quite mixed messages. Uh, you know, even things like uh, kind of man up, uh, a kind of like talk, telling mm. us to kind of suppress our emotions and ignore our emotions. Uh, which is, you know, as we get become older and those patterns are now kind of lodged in our brains, it's then very easy to kind of ignore the messages that our subconscious is maybe telling us um, or sending us through when something's dangerous or something's wrong within the environment. Um, so, yeah, so it's that's I mean, that's a really key thing that I try to do as well is always listen to my intuition. If I feel like if I feel a bit of fear or anxiety or that something's wrong, that kind of gut feeling is to kind of really listen into, into what, where that's coming from, because often there's a very good, good reason. And it's often that, you know, my own kind of the way that I've been brought up and my programming systems of that, you know, that told me to see, always see the best in other people has kind of, is kind of suppressing the actual, you know, the, the threat that's actually, you know, in the interaction that I'm having with somebody. Wow. Have you had many sort of quite, um i suppose close calls with people where it's where it has been very tense and it's been you're like you come out of it and go bloody hell that was, that was a bit close <laughs> yeah it's, yeah so there's there has been a couple of times when um, i've been attacked um and Oof. you know unfortunately it's you know it's part and parcel i suppose of what i do um and i suppose the risk that i that i take um but yeah, but there's a you know there's lots of um, interactions that we kind of have like on a kind of daily basis, kind of almost when I'm working that you know you you're constantly analysing the the ground and watching the ground um, kind of around you and like how you're interacting with that those people and particularly in certain cultures. So you know there's certain cultures that I work in where you know women aren't seen as equal, um, and where if I'm there leading a team. It's uh, it's all about like I, I guess going back kind of like the negotiation um, skills that you have to kind of develop to work and operate in those environments, um, and removing my ego from that, uh, which which is always easier said than done. <laughs> and I, particularly when I first started, you know, kind of leading expeditions and working in like the TV world, um, you know, I'd be leading a team of guys and I'd have a local a, a team of local guys that I was, I was supposed to be leading to try and get, you know, to get a job done. Um, and they wouldn't listen to me. Uh, and that, that was really difficult. Like when, when I first started, when you really want to prove yourself. <laughs> um, but I think like experience taught me and, you know, as, as you get older, I, you know, I care less really what <laughs> about proving myself. I'm there to get a job done. Um, so, yeah, so then it's about then finding other ways that I can actually get a job. So, you know, in an environment, if I'm going into somewhere where, you know, women aren't necessarily seen as equal, it's then about, uh, you know, working with uh, a guy in my team, um, in my Western team, maybe, or a trusted local guy that can actually get my message across um, so that we can get the mm. job done as efficiently as possible. Um, and having respect for that culture, you know, I don't have to uh, agree with that culture, but I need to have a respect and an empathy and an understanding for that culture. Um, otherwise, you, you know, you just can't, I can't do the job that I've been You won't get results, will you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So when were you attacked? <laughs> um, yeah, a, a few, yeah, a couple of times in, uh, yeah, in the, the past. But these, these things, you know, they 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 don't define who who I am or anything. And it's like, you know, no. they're, they're things as well that um, I guess, because I a few years ago, I had the opportunity to write a book um, called Mind for Survivor, which was all about, 
yeah, kind of what makes somebody a survivor. It was a, it was a question that I was really interested to explore uh, and through some of my own stories and things. And this, these were stories that I actually chose not to, to include because I felt okay. that it would just detract away from, uh, yeah, from the, the story and people would focus on that rather than <laughs> the message. Focus on the drama rather about. than the content. Yeah. Fair enough. So you're trying to focus on substance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, trying to, you know, try, it was more about then like, you know, the skills that um, and the experiences that I'd had that you could then take, um, you know, lessons that you'd learned f- from those situations and then be able to sort of employ them in everyday life so taking lessons from you know the extremes i suppose and putting them into to everyday life okay so we've had patagonia and the amazon <laughs> we still need a third <laughs> um well the i think the, the mountains um the mountains. yeah I, I any particular ones oh I, I spent 10 years i lived out in the alps for 10 years um, and that will that will always hold like a special place in my heart. And it's like I'd love to I'd love to go back. I'd like to move back out there at some point. Um, but yeah, I think that's you know that's where I had some of my first kind of big alpine experiences, and kind of I suppose like a lot of like friendships and things were yeah kind of born in those environments. You know, um, you know when you're in work. Yeah, you get really tight communities up there, don't you? You do. Yeah. Well, I think it's like because when you're out in these environments and you're you know you're pushing yourself and there's a part of it it's well for me I find it's a very spiritual experience it's like you're out there and you're pushing yourself and you know you're kind of at the the mercy of nature to some extent so it's all it's very much like about yourself but it's also you know but if you're climbing as a team it's also about your partner as well and it's like you kind of forge bonds with somebody that you know that I don't think any other you know situation in life can really kind of forge those same bonds it's like you literally that person is holding your life in their hands um and you know the the stuff that you go through uh together is just is absolutely incredible so let's wind it back a bit um a lot of people when they well a lot of people who become these kind of survival um experts and particularly in the film and tv industry they seem to have a lot of them seem to have a history in the military you don't obviously you you mentioned already that you your 18th was it your 18th birthday present was the the expedition leader or Ma- was it mountain leader mountain leader yeah mountain mountain leader yeah. course so was yours more through the more sort of traditional outdoors community sort of through that world that you fell into was it a conscious decision or did you as i say kind of fall into it yeah, the so the outdoor industry was I some, suppose something that I did I did kind of fall into it. Um, I yeah, I was very fortunate that as I said, like a lot of like my family holidays were into the mountains. Um, and when I was in my early teens, I was very involved with the military cadets. Um, okay. I had some amazing opportunities with them, so I got to go off. Uh, winter climbing in Scotland and whitewater kayaking wow. in Wales and had these amazing experiences and took a, as much advantage as possible of the adventurous training that was on offer, um, which was was just amazing. And I, I feel so grateful because I was allowed to go on these trips with no female cover because they could never find any female staff <laughs> that wanted to come along. Um, and I was always the only girl. <laughs> Uh, so I'm I'm so grateful that they they realised that I was like I was more interested in like in the mountaineering than anything else. <laughs> so um so yeah, very very fortunate uh, with that. Do you, do you think just quickly? Do you think that would still be the case now, or is there there's more women in the in the industry, right? Yeah. So there's a lot more women coming through. Actually, um, I mean within the film industry that I mostly work in at the moment, I. I've never met any other women. I'm not saying that there aren't any. I just haven't met any. Um, but within the outdoor industry now, right, so like the outdoor instruction, um, there's a lot of um, women or young women starting to come through, uh, which is fantastic. Mm. And I think this is where kind of social media and things is so powerful uh, because um, when when I was growing up, and this makes me feel really old to say this, but when I was growing up, like like Facebook and social media didn't exist. Like Facebook came in like maybe when I was like sixteen or seventeen, and we were all like, "What the hell's this? Like, who wants to see what <laughs> for lunch and stuff?" Um, so yeah, so so that like the social media thing was like was not a big thing. So I I didn't really have any kind of female role models growing up. 
Um, whereas now I think that there's so there's so much more. There's so many amazing um, female athletes, like outdoor athletes um, and even like influencers and, and things now that are out there doing some really cool stuff and showcasing themselves and, and also showcasing that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, manly to go out and do these things. You, you know, you can be beautiful and mm. feminine and and still kick ass like and i think that's what's so powerful about social oh, yeah. media um why i think you know i think it's so so beneficial at the moment for for young women and young men as well to kind of see like a broader spectrum of kind of like diversity out there awesome so carrying on then with your story but it, you said that you had the experience with the military cadets so you were getting all this outdoor adventure experience where'd it go yeah, so I, when I was about eight, I got given a book um, called The Land of the Long White Cloud, which was a book all about like Maori mythology, like from New Zealand. Um, and there was something about these images that absolutely captivated me. Uh, they're beautiful, uh, beautiful imagery. Um, and I, from the age of yeah, eight, I just wanted to go to New Zealand and like I was just obsessed with it. So uh, when I left school Amazing. at 17, um, I worked in a pub and I worked in uh, an outdoor centre, which was, it was PGL. Um, yeah, it was a for mm-hmm. PGL, uh, which is a China Children's Summer Camp. Uh, and I earned, I earned enough money for a, a plane ticket out to New Zealand Um and then I went out to New Zealand <laughs> for 10 months uh, and I, yeah, I got out there and I bought a little car and uh, I was driving around and I ran into a couple of guys actually that had just started doing an apprenticeship in an outdoor centre. Uh, and they, they said, well, why don't you come along and see if, if there's another position going? So I ended up actually joining them uh, for the 10 months I was out oh. there. Yeah. And I trained as a raft guide and uh, started doing like a kind of like climbing instruction and things uh, out there with with people and it was this amazing outdoor center like right in the middle of the Lewis Pass um, kind of like yeah out in the middle of nowhere and it was yeah it was proper proper awesome doing that uh, and I wanted to stay I didn't want to come back um, but uh, I ended up coming back to the UK and I actually did a degree in outdoor education which was kind of like three years of climbing on a student loan um and, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's kind of when I was kind of picking up qualifications as well I kind of that's how I funded my way through university with like the mountain leader award that I picked up and sing, what was single pitch award now uh, which has changed now um but yes yeah, so I, was, I was taking people out that's kind of how I funded my way through university um and uh, yeah and then as I was coming up towards the end of uh university I was coming up to graduation I had an experience like one night where um, I was I was camping out by myself. Um, I just I'd just been solo climbing um, on Bofell Buttress, which is in the Lake District. Um, and I'd, I'd got to the top, uh, and I set up my bivy bag and things. And I just got to thinking that like everything that I do is kind of protecting myself from nature. So as I put my like metal protection in the rock, I wear my Gore-Tex jackets. You know, I've got my sleeping bag and my bivy bag, and everything I'm doing is like I'm creating a barrier between me and nature and although I spend a lot of time outside and call myself an outdoor enthusiast I know very little about the natural world around me Um, and a few days later a friend of mine had got some tickets to go to see a bushcraft talk and I I hadn't got a clue what this was Uh, but I went along with him and uh, yeah and I I was just like wow this is what's missing it's like he was taught the guy was talking about uh, you know the properties medicinal and edible properties of plants um, and they've just been doing some work with native cultures and you know how you can rub sticks together to make fire and <laughs> all of this incredible stuff and I was just like wow that's like that's what's missing so I uh, I went on their website and they were actually looking for apprentices um, and amazingly I got offered a position and ended up working with them for a few years um, as an apprentice um, and started doing expeditions with them um yeah and then moved out to the alps kind of went back more into the mountain side of things and then the tv stuff kicked off for me uh sort of behind the scenes stuff uh, initially they i was t- i was invited on to come and do stunt rigging uh to do sort of rope rigging uh, okay yeah uh, like rope, rope access stuff yes yeah yeah the kind of rope access stuff and you know rig rig some yeah fun stunt stuff and then they realized that i'd awesome. kind of the survival background as well yeah okay so then it was from there it was a fairly natural progression really yes yeah yeah so it was both i guess those those skills that i thought were kind of so random like so like unrelated Mm. to each other (laughs) um turned out to be the perfect combo (laughs) yes so do you think um 
obviously it, it's it's really cool to hear not only about people that aren't in the military getting into that industry because i imagine i don't know but i imagine it's a very hard one to break into did you ever feel like you were at a disadvantage for not having those things like for not being a guy and for not having a military background yeah so my my gender has never dictated what i do personally um like from in terms of climbing, mountain biking, you know, all the adventurous pursuits that I do for myself, like my gender has never, ever stopped me. Uh, I never even thought about it when I was growing up. And whether that was because, you know, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family where it was kind of never questioned. And, you know, mm. my parents didn't mind if I came back absolutely covered in mud um, and and then having the opportunity to join the military cadets and uh, not have female cover um yeah I think I mean that obviously was kind of that having that support it helped me never question it uh you know and the, and the fact was you know, when I was in my late teens early 20s you know I was I was climbing and mountaineering like harder than a lot of the guys that I was going out with so it was never it was never an issue it was never a thing for me um I think within the tv industry uh it's the higher up the ladder I've climbed the harder it becomes um because yes you're right um within the kind of the ex-military background um which i find a little bit i find it hard sometimes uh dealing with that because uh the reality is that with the work that i do it's very specialized so in terms of like the rope rigging that i do in terms of like the survival elements and stuff and you know it's taken me years and years of formal training um and many thousands of pounds, you know, kind, hmm. kind of like getting all the experience, getting the qualifications, getting the background um, to be able to do what I do. Um, whereas, you know, the industry is very, it's very creative. Uh, it's a lot full of a lot of creative people um, who, you know, sometimes buy into stories uh, and, and things. And Hollywood movies don't necessarily always <laughs> kind of aid this either. So that, you know, we do sometimes get people that are not qualified or have the experience mm. that have managed to get in there because of their background, but they don't tend to last very long because the reality is that um, ultimately when we're working on the ground, it's like we have the responsibility for people's lives. And there's now like a very, very intense betting process. So, you know, if I'm, I'm currently working for Netflix and Nat Geo um, National Geographic at the moment, um, and both of those channels have a very hot like kind of vetting process so they they want to see all my qualifications all my past experience all my credits everything uh, before they'll even kind of let me loose on anybody um which is kind of minimizing and it's making sure that we do have actually have the right people on the ground uh, and particularly within the teams that i work in because we we work so fast uh once we get on the ground like we have to have the right people mm. who can actually look after after film crews in in those environments um my my gender has come into question in terms of uh, being in front of camera. And this is something that I've actually, uh, during lockdown, is actually something that I've been this I've been kind of working on, which is really exciting uh, because there are networks. So I've been working with a couple of networks actually directly um, during lockdown who are wanting to diversify the face of adventure. Uh, but awesome. it's <laughs> brilliant, which is really exciting, but it's, yeah. it's very, very hard. And I know that there'll be, um, I know that there'll be, women listening to this who will be like, I like to watch adventure shows, but the reality is that, and the problem that we face, and this is me speaking with my producer hat on, is that um, women typically don't watch adventure shows or survival shows. And whether that's because there aren't many female hosts um, or because women in general aren't interested. And, you know, I know the audience listening in, a, you know, you'll be very outdoorsy, badass ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Like what on earth is she talking about? But it, this is in general, like the general population. Um, but yeah, you know, I just mean, you're probably right that it's it's because it's not being they're not being treated as the audience a lot of the time, so it's not going to draw them in, is it? Whereas, no, whereas no. if you have that representation, then you go, oh, yeah. actually, yeah, they are interested. Yeah, so so that's what that's what discussions that I've been having actually during lockdown is how can we make content that is, that will draw in women as well, but not alienate the male audiences that are already existing because the, 
problem is, and as you, you know, as a producer as well, is that it's all about um, viewing figures and getting people to watch, getting people to engage. And, you know, the the film industry now is so incredibly competitive that, you know, a, a network can put out, you know, one or two bad shows and it could, they can fold because of it. So it's all about like the viewing figures and bringing in money and, and and everything and trying to keep that and if they've got a recipe that works they they they'll tend to stick to that yeah. <laughs> as much as they can and it's very very hard for them to take a risk it's not necessarily something i agree with i really think that we should see more diversity uh but it's still going to be a little while until until we get there because it's it's just too much risk but it's very very exciting to be having these discussions with these these big networks how would you like to win a prize bundle from osprey and tempbox worth more than two and a half thousand pounds starting today on the 3rd of july we're offering the chance to win an archeon 25 hiking pack a transporter 95 duffel for all your gear hauling needs a bunch of accessories and a tent box classic allowing you to convert your car into a camper in just one minute perfect to get you exploring locally and making the most of where you live for details on how to enter just visit the osprey europe instagram or facebook accounts I suppose it depends on where you're going and like every job must have its own um, sort of quirks and particular th- skills that you need to know. Do you, do you ever have to like brush up on certain things? Yeah. So when I started off um, working in the, in the TV film industry, it was, you know, it was very much kind of like I was very much specialised into the rope rigging side of things and then kind of like the survival um, consultancy side of things um, and then as we've kind of progressed you know I, I take on more of a kind of a, a management role of that so um, you know I, I'll oversee safety teams so I, I just I ensure now that we have the right people because when I first started you know I've, I've been working in the film industry now for God, 13 14 years um, you know kind of since the early days of shows like Man vs. World Mm-hmm. Uh, which was like kind of I suppose really kind of kick-started the the whole kind of adventure survival uh, movement um, and we've learned so much as we've gone through and so much over the years and you know when I first started I'd be taking on roles that like I really didn't know very much about and like it was fun so things like animal wrangling um, <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I'd take on a medic role and and things, and these were all things that I had experience in, but they weren't my speciality. You know, as a medic, it's yes, you know, I, I've done some, I've done kind of medical training to a, a reasonable level, but it's not something I'm doing day in day out. And so, you know, so now, like, I'll insist that we actually have qualified medics on the ground with us. Um, animal wrangling, like, I had an incident with being bitten by a snake, um, um, which kind of made me realise that. Uh, these things move flipping fast and (laughs) we need to have you know because before that point like I'd been handling some pretty deadly snakes I was just like like, (laughs) nothing had happened before then Uh, and not just snakes like you know crocodiles and like that (laughs) yeah this is the stuff yeah. of nightmares. <laughs> well, like I remember, like, you know, in the early days, we'd be going out and we'd be catching, like, sudden, like, fair to lance snakes, which are, like, highly deadly. And I'd, I'd have them in a box in my room, <laughs> like, in my hotel room. And, yeah, just, like, so, like, thinking Why? back on it now. What? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, think, things have changed a lot now. Yeah. And it's, like through the lessons that we've learned so you know because i've been in it now for such a long time you know we've learned so many lessons over the years um and now as budgets get tighter and time gets tighter because when i first started you know for per episode we'd have like two weeks to film and now for the same shows it's like you know we're, we've got like two days <laughs> to film the same amount of content uh you know so it really is about having the right people because it makes things a lot more efficient mm. um you recently did your own podcast series. Uh, it was during lockdown, right? Yeah, it was just just before um, lockdown. Um, the Power of Adventure. It was mm. yeah, it was for the author Wilbur Smith. Tell us a little bit about that. Who were you talking to? What was it all about? I'm assuming yeah, so the, the Power, Power of Adventure. 
<laughs> yeah, so The Power Adventure was um, a podcast um, that Wilbur Smith, the author, um, asked me to host for him. And it was about kind of exploring the the power of adventure, <laughs> the, the, the benefits of kind of nature. So talking to adventurers. So, you know, people maybe from different walks of life, different backgrounds who've gone off and done um, some pretty cool stuff and kind of the lessons maybe that they've learned in the wilderness and how they've then applied them to kind of everyday life and but bought in a way which was accessible hopefully uh to to the everyday listener as well so it wasn't necessarily about inspiring people to go off you know into the amazon and have some epic uh but more about just getting outside and realizing that you know adventure is on our doorstep um Mm. you know from canoeing through to you know exploring your local woods that you know anybody can get out there and do it and how to kind of take those first steps as well Awesome. Um, have you got any kind of UK adventures that you're particularly keen on or that you haven't done but you'd love to do? <laughs> or any special um, recommends? Yeah. So I well, I live in North Wales, so I live in Snowdonia and oh, like jealous. I've only been Yeah, oh it's amazing. I live right on the coast. So oh, wow. it's like I've been yeah, the weather has just been insane. So it's been quite frustrating, actually, because I, I paramotor and paraglide and climb and we haven't really been allowed to do that. But I've mm. been out, the sea here has just been so calm. So I've been going out and hunting fish, beer fishing. And, wow. And and, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Yeah, so there's there's some great spots actually, and there's um there's because I, it's been so long since I've seen the water here so clear. So it's been I've been going out and um, there's a lot of lobster and, and things around at the moment as well. Wicked. So going down and like catching lobster and getting my fingers bitten. <laughs> awesome spearfishing yeah. in North Wales. There you go. That's a good yeah. niche well, recommend for you. There's a there's a seal that follows me around. Oh, um, wicked. Who's really cool? Yeah, called George. And it's like, I never see him under the water or her. I'm not sure if it's George or Georgina, but anyway, I see him under the water. I, you know, I don't, I, I never see it. Uh, but it's like, whenever I come up, it's like a few feet behind me. It pops up. <laughs> it's like, kind of scares me a little bit. But yeah. Incredible. What do you think we're missing? Because it feels like you have a lot of skills that a lot of people would benefit from. In wider society today, what do you think we're missing? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, my concern is in terms of like skills that people might be missing is, uh, and it's kind of bouncing around a lot at the moment, is uh, is the term resilience. Uh, and mm. I find it rather worrying that we that we are having to teach resilience because we are resilient. Every cell in our body is fighting for survival. Uh, we shouldn't have to be teaching people to ha- to mm. be resilient. Rather than teaching people to be resilient, I really think that we should be addressing the underlying cause of you know why people might be struggling with their mental health um, and why people might be feeling overwhelmed. And I know that you know through lockdown, I've had quite a few people uh, reaching out to me. Uh, through social media, uh, saying you know that they've been really, really struggling with their mental health, and some of I've even had like suicidal messages uh, from wow. people as well, uh, which is which is really concerning. And I do really think that um, we need to look at the the way that we live now. It's it's not very healthy. You know, we sensationalize stress, and you know the the stress system within us, so our fight and flight mechanism is only designed to be kind of temporary. It was there when we came across saber-toothed tigers uh, and it was to help us kind of, you know, fight or flee, like, or kind of run away. Um, It was never designed to be chronically switched on. And I think this is, it's causing a real problem in our society now when it becomes chronically switched on and we start seeing things like autoimmune diseases coming, like becoming more prevalent. Um, you know, the pressure it puts on, you know, stomach issues as well as our, our mental health as well. Um, and I, I'm sure that a lot of this could be started with addressing like the school system. Um, you know, mm. there are certain traits that make up resilience, um, things like creativity, initiative, intuition, um, you know, taking control of situations uh, and so much of this for our young people isn't really possible. They don't have the arena necessarily to be able to explore these things. Uh, their their days um, and their lives are so so regimented and so structured that there isn't really um, kind of freedom for creativity. Um, and I think this is where like the you know the power of nature and getting out, outside kind of really kind of 
allows us those spaces to kind of question life, put life into perspective and actually kind of explore ourselves a bit more and have some peace because we're constantly, you know, we're constantly connected uh, all the time. It's like with, via our smartphones and our tablets. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really hard to actually ever get to switch off. It feels like if ever there was a time to address those sorts of things now would be it because it, it's become very apparent, I feel um within the midst of lockdown yeah you're so right you're so right and it's it's yeah it's, it's really worrying and it would be great to think that they would be looking at like the schooling systems and and things um yeah yeah it would be nice <laughs> i just i think there's too, there's too many of us really and like we've all got like different learning styles and yeah. things it's very very hard to cater to to so many of us and to such a mass audience. So, you know, I think that we then have to start taking control of those things ourselves. Um, and I think, you know, for me, I found this time really beneficial. Yes, I am worried about, you know, suddenly overnight I lost all my work and, mm. um, you know, I, it's worrying. You don't know, you know, it's the fear of the unknown and not sure what's going to be happening next. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of given me this space which we just, we never have, or I never have. And, you know, so many people never have in their everyday lives to actually kind of reflect and think about the things that uh, are important to us. And, you know, the local communities, for example, it's like here, because I'm, when I'm at home, I'm only here for a few days. And it's like a mad rush of turnaround of getting my kit washed, packing kit for the next environment, getting my taxes done, all this stuff um, that I don't really get to interact with my neighbours. And it's like during this time, it's like, you know, the other night, my <laughs> two of my elderly neighbours, like in their 80s, like got me, got me so drunk. <laughs> 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 they, they totally drunk me under the table. I'm really embarrassed. <laughs> But it was it was just so it was just so nice, you know, like getting to know the the neighbours and now because everyone's you know going out and making the most of spending time outside and things. It's like I'll pass them, you know, in their gardens or along the road, uh, and it's just really nice stopping and having a chat. And you know, and I know like the lady up the road was really struggling, and it was just like you know you just go around for coffee, whereas like in everyday life normally she'd just be struggling and she wouldn't she wouldn't tell anybody um so i think you know i really hope that we kind of remember this time what do you think we should be looking at doing on a wider level well we'll come to like individual level in a moment but on a wider level it, you know when we're talking about we need to rethink school systems have you got any thoughts on what we should be trying to do what we should be changing um well i, I think um you know, I think this is where, because I'm, I'm involved with the Scout organization and they have a, a, a program called um, Skills for Life. And this is all about uh, encouraging children to get outside or get out in their communities. Uh, so what I love about it is that the Scouts have kind of kept up with the time. So it's not all just about uh, adventure, which, you know, Baden Powell's day when it was kind of the movement was kind of set up. It was all about kind of outward bound and getting kids outside. Uh, but now it's kind of about embracing um, challenges, you know, within communities mm. as well as within the outdoors. Um, and I and I think those are so 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 beneficial because those skills, as they use these young people, are kind of pushed to communicate with other people, pushed, you know, physically and mentally um, to kind of think for themselves and to take ownership and take responsibility and uh, you know to care for other people. Uh, these are all skills that, if we're not careful, are going to be are going to be lost. Um, so actually, seeing the scout organisation putting these in, and actually then seeing the studies that they've done on children that are scouts compared to those that aren't part of the scout movement, um, is really fascinating to see. Actually, in terms of like their mental health and their confidence and their ability to be able to handle life once they leave school and go on to university and on to, you know, the rest of their lives. So then for the autodidacts out there, what could we be doing on an individual level? Is it, is, do you think it's as simple as just like pick a sport, go and try it, like go for a run, <laughs> get on the bike, whatever it is, just get outside? Yeah, I think, it, I mean, a lot of it is, uh, you know, giving ourselves the space. Um, we put so much pressure on ourselves uh, and I know I'm, I'm so guilty of this. I'm, I'm my own worst critic. It's like, you know, I'll never be good enough for myself um, you know, which on one hand, like helps you push yourself and, mm. you know, and succeed and, you know, ever be searching for the next adventure or whatever it might be. Um, but at the same time, there's that kind of you're always kind of chasing after that kind of the, the fear of missing out. Like if you don't kind of push yourself and, and things and 
Do you I find think you get frustrated when you don't hit those goals as well? Because I definitely yeah. do this. I will <laughs> rage and rage at myself if I don't hit the goals I'm, I'm trying to reach. And how do you calm yourself down? Um, usually I try to focus on micro progressions. So I'll start off just slow down my breathing, calm myself, force myself to move and think more slowly and then think, okay, well, what are the micro progressions here? What have I actually achieved today? And sometimes it will become as small as, well, at least I went out and did the thing at all, <laughs> even if I didn't hit the goal by failing that one more time. I'm a little bit closer to succeeding in the future. And that's like, that's usually what I have to come back to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, you know, setting those like the smaller achievable goals. Um, and because I, you know, I think there's there's so much pressure and like, this is where maybe where the downside of social media is. There's a lot of, you know, kind of with the kind of adventure movement and stuff that, you know, you have to be living an adventurous life to have a fulfilling life or you have to have this or that, you know, to be to be having a fulfilling life. And I think it's quite it's kind of quite misleading, um, you know, so being able to have like have those smaller goals, like you said, um, I think are, are really important every day. And I think it's very, very hard when, you know, when you know, people may be struggling with their weight or, um, you know, whatever it might be, or their fitness and their health, and they want to make changes. But it's really very, very, very difficult to create big change overnight. It's like something like, like you said, it's like those micro goals actually really help you kind of then start on the journey. Um, and, you know, I think social media and the fast pace that we consume a lot of like information and things now kind of we think that we should be able to do these things straight away. <laughs> and it's like we kind of forget that we actually have to work really hard to achieve certain things. Mm. And, you know, whether it's weight loss, whether it's fitness, whether it's growing muscle, you know, all of these things, it, it takes time and it takes commitment and, you know, making small changes so that it actually fits in with your schedule rather than trying to take on some, you know, massive running goal or, you know, gym membership or something. So it's kind of um, seeing the big picture, I guess, being able to step back and go, today wasn't the day, but it's okay because I've got all of these other days. <laughs> yeah, 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 being yeah, being kind to ourselves because I, I mean, that's such a good way of seeing it, like a, like the analogy. Because I think you know we live in this. It's like almost like we live in this kind of like pixel, and it's like all you can see is the pixel that you live in, and it's like other people mm -hmm. can see the picture. You know, this great life that you've kind of built for yourself, uh, but all you see is that kind of one block of color, and it's you know it's really hard to kind of step back. And I think that's what you know time like like this, you know, kind of lockdown has kind of given a lot of people is that ability to be able to step back and actually look at their lives. And I think this is what like nature can do for us as well and getting out and, you know, not saying go out and climb Everest or, you know, <laughs> going into Snowden or whatever it might be like, but just getting out and just going for a walk in your local park or, you know, taking a dog, taking the children, going out by yourself and actually just spending time out in nature leaving your phone behind because there's there it is incredibly therapeutic and it, I mean, it's great to see that the national health service in in scotland are now starting to uh, prescribe spending time outside for anxiety and depression awesome wicked we had uh, victoria pendleton on and she talked about the wave project um so surfing for um disadvantaged children in the uk and that's also being prescribed by the nhs now that's brilliant yeah <laughs> so it's amazing exciting. isn't it yeah, I really do. I think we're going to see more and more of that over the mm. coming years. And I think it's, it's so exciting. Um, yeah, well, it's our natural habitat, isn't it? It's like mm. we haven't evolved. You know, evolution takes like such a blinking long time. It's like we haven't evolved to kind of live in the modern world that we live in at the moment. Like our, our brains haven't kind of got caught up it's like the primal part of our brain so like the limbic system, which is where our kind of fear response and a lot of our emotional responses comes from kind of got stuck back in when we were like cavemen and cave women and it hasn't really kind of progressed since um so i think you know we kind of have to be quite kind with that it's you mm. know you are dealing with like an animal in your head um let's talk a little bit about fitness just before we finish um what do you do to maintain sort of match ready if you will uh for these wild adventures so my, my job's really physical anyway. Um, so, and because I'm on the road, I'm on the ground, like so much of the time, um, I spend, usually spend like most days outside, 
running around looking for locations or you know rigging stuff or um doing things that um does it kind of self-sustain in a way it was not sustained but i mean the, the problem that i find that i have is that if i do any massively hard training sessions where i'm like you know training my muscles to failure because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on, I'm going to the next environment and the next and the next. And I, there's like, I literally have no downtime uh, usually um, that I have to be really careful. It's about like more of seeing it as like an endurance event. Um, so it's then I have to then be quite clever with my training. Um, I have, you know, I have noticed, you know, as I get older, that old injuries and aches and pains and things kind of start coming back to play a lot more. So I, I do now make sure that I stretch. So first thing in the morning, it's like I, I'll get up and, you know, whether I'm getting out of my hammock or, um, <laughs> you know, out of the hotel room, wherever it is that I am, uh, it's about then, you know, making sure that I do at least 10, 15 minutes kind of stretching, like particularly my hip area, which gets really tight. Um, and in the evening as well. Um, and it's, it's for me, those kind of moments when I get on my mat, I like I really, kind of like I shut everything else out and that's really that's been really important for kind of like uh the men my mental health as well actually um mm. and actually because from the moment I open my eyes in the morning to the moment I shut my eyes at night you know people are trying want stuff from me all the time um <laughs> so it was like it was just really important that those moments are now mine and it just it helps such a lot um but during during lockdown um I've really been focusing on balancing out my body so I tend to use um a lot of the same muscle movements over and over so it's kind of then trying to work on like the opposing muscles and uh mm -hmm. balancing out my body uh a lot more during this time um and i've been doing like a lot of running as well which is which has been really good because I, I do like running <laughs> i feel like running is the it seems to be the like one of the sports that just benefits everything else the most having solid cardiovascular and like just being able to run for a decent amount of time it carries over to like everything yeah, I know for sure, sure. And then what, what I found as well actually really helps is like breath hold training. Um, okay. So for, yeah, because I because I don't always um, I'm not always near the water. Um, so I do like a like every day I do like breath hold training and um, breathing exercises and and stuff so that you know when I am back it I'm you know I'm primed to ready to go go hunting. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's been really good. And again, that's really helped. That's really helped actually keep me calm as well. So th is that uh, how did how does that how does that work? Tell me about that. I don't really know anything about this. <laughs> uh, well, so if I, if I do have water, you know, even like a bath or something, because it's you know it's kind of our we, it's our natural instinct to want to hold our breaths when we're when we're underwater. Um, but what I'm trying to do is kind of I I tend to do it with in conjunction with kind of like uh, cold water immersion as well, whether it's a cold uh, shower okay, or yeah. a cold bath or getting in in cold water um, and you know, it's kind of really kind of working through trying to control like the hyperventilating side of it um, to keep the, the breath calm. And if I don't have water, I don't have a cold shower, um, then it's just a case of like spending time, like really breathing, like, really breathing down into into my hips and kind of trying to open up like my whole body. Um, and yeah, trying to make it as efficient as possible to be able to absorb as much oxygen as possible. And then what are the benefits that you felt from that when you're in the field then? Was, um, I find it really calming. Um, so because I'm focused on my breathing, um, it, it really kind of centers, centers me. Um, cause I, I have the, uh, like I, I have like mild ADHD. So it's like, I tend to, like, I try tend to do, try to do like a million things at once and mm. kind of running around and it's, it's, I find it hard to kind of focus. Um, so this, it really helps me actually, cause I can, I can sit there and it's like kind of really kind of look into to myself. And at the same time, I'm doing like a body scan as well. So I'm really, I suppose over the years, because uh, I, you know, I started um, pushing my body really hard, like at a very young age, <clears throat> um, in sort of through my own like kind of mountain biking and uh, various other sports and stuff. Uh, and at a very young age, I, I didn't really know about training principles and things. And I, I taught myself to be able to push through pain uh, and to be able to ignore pain. Um, and it's something I still have now, so that I don't really listen to my body if I'm not careful. So it's something. You know, as I've got older, I've realized that if I don't start listening to, to my body and, you know, where the aches and pains are, I could be, you know, give myself some real problems later on. So uh, by doing this kind of body scan, by actually kind of centering in on myself, I'm actually kind of feeling which areas are tight, which areas are painful as well. Uh, and then I can start mm -hmm. kind of working on those, uh, whether stretching them out or um, I've started getting into kind of uh, rolling on like 
uh, balls and things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Let's yeah. wrap up with your lockdown recommends. We're looking for three recommendations from you. One for film and TV, one for song or music artist, and one for an other, which could be whatever you want it to be. What are you going to go for? Um, so I I recently came across, somebody sent me this, uh, like it's a mini documentary thing that was kind of, I find it so fascinating. Uh, and it's called Transcendence, uh, From Domestication to Transformation. Uh, and it's kind of like an exploration of how we domesticated ourselves um, wow. and how we're completely unaware of it, but how like our belief systems, um, it's like so much of kind of what we're taught, our programming and things as children and, you know, the things that we're taught have become this kind of web of almost kind of like lies and things that, you know, only exist in our in our heads um, and it's you know, kind of how to challenge those those things. And it's absolutely fascinating because it looks at kind of the domestication of the dog to start with as a great analogy uh, and then kind of turns more to, to us. So it's wow, quite cool. interesting expose. Yeah. Uh, so music then. Next. <laughs> Music. Okay. Kind of, I suppose kind of along the same theme. Uh I've I've really liked the song um Human by the Killers. Um cool. hey, do you, you know Hunter Thompson? The no. author. Uh, so Hunter S. Thompson, uh he he had some statement at some point which he was like I mean he was he was very outspoken, like fascinating book, uh oh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, like Oh, his book is amazing if you if you haven't read it okay <laughs> um it's a yeah it's a fascinating kind of exploration into america and yeah very interesting but he was like he say his statement was that like america are raising a generation of dancers that are afraid to take a step out of line um and this this song by the killers mm. is kind of like exploring that it's like are you human or are you a dancer <laughs> and i think this is nice. a great time to kind of think about that kind of for the next step that we all take now we've had this moment to think. It's like, are we going to live our lives, you know, as we're told to, or are we going to think more for ourselves? Nice, love it. Uh, okay, and then your final, <laughs> your final other then the mystery choice. Um. Okay. This is okay. This is yeah, maybe a bit work hard, but the the almanac. Um, the almanac. <laughs> so so an almanac is like is a book that's been like they've been they've made these books for like years and years and years but it's all about like um the seasons so it basically talks you through like every season like it was originally for like farmers uh, but it's got kind of like the fruiting seasons the like the full moons like the tide timetables in there like the fish migrations it's like kind of it's so wow. around nature um and i i just love them i've always been fascinated uh, with them and I just think oh, if people could read these books <laughs> understand yeah. the world that they live in yes. yeah yeah. and that brings us to the end of another episode don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook accounts to enter for the massive prize bundle from Osprey and Tempbox launching today the 3rd of July thanks to Megan for joining us I've been your host Marcus Brown and we'll see you on the next episode of the Osprey podcast podcast